All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And you don't know this, but we are starting late because I've been sitting here having a blast with Vivian Mabuni for the last 15 or 20 minutes. So Vivian, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, John. You know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today because so many people we hear back from Vivian all over the world, right? They're wondering about, you know, what's next, how to make a decision, what path they should be on, what they should be doing at work. I mean, there's just seems that like uh, the tighter we try to almost control things to make the right decision for whatever reason that is, right? I mean, a lot of it is cultural, right? There's a lot of expectations, what we need to make, what we should be doing, how we were raised, expectations of our spouses, our families. I mean, there's just so much, right? And I think honestly, through all that, here's what I found is that there's all this pressure and noise about what we should do. And to find your life, you actually need to slow down and let go. And we were just mm-hmm. talking about that. I asked you, you know, you just written this amazing book. And I said, what's the big idea about the book? You're like, oh, boy. Well, here, I mean, you <laughs> knew it right away, right? Purpose comes from saying yes, and it's about letting go. And and so here's a little mm-hmm. bit about Vivian, because I think this is so important, because I'm actually just about to release my book. Um, it's called Breaking Through, Unlock the Leader Within. And my entire premise is the entire leadership industry Talking about the why, the what, and the how that everybody focuses on, that's completely broken. We have Mm -hmm. to focus on our identity. We have to focus on who we are. We have to Mm -hmm. close the gap between who God sees and who we see in the mirror. I really believe that that is, those are the chains that are just holding us back from Mm -hmm. just being free to do in our world. And I love how you framed it up. It's about saying yes to God. So just a little background, Vivian lives in one of my favorite places in the world out near the in Southern California, just north of San Diego, where I used to be. And she went to college in Boulder, where I am now. I'm actually just south of Boulder. So we've kind of swapped places. Uh, <laughs> uh, you do a lot of work. You have a passion to disciple leaders who love God. And, and you've done a lot of work on college campuses. You've spent, uh, how long have you been at Crew? 30 years? 30 years. Yep, 30 years. Yeah. Do you know my friend Scotty Moore, perchance? He's no, in Orlando. I, don't. I need to connect the oh, two of you. He's yes. he's been a crew for about twenty years. He's in Orlando. He really wants to do more, and he's an amazing guy. I'll connect the two of you. But mm-hmm. um, you have a, your master's in Bible exposition from Talbot Seminary. Uh, I'm working on it. Working, working on, on it. it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, and uh, I've been married for twenty eight years, and you got three amazing kids. We're talking about our kids. But here's yeah. how I'd like to start, Vivian. I mean, uh, coming. Uh, you know, I mean, your journey, I mean, there's been some definitely some highs and lows. You know, I'd love for you to share kind of how you, where you came from, you know, culturally, spiritually, your family life mm-hmm. growing up and, you know, just part of that journey. So let me just kind of turn it over to you and, and we'll, uh, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Sure. Well, it's just an honor to be here with you. And I grew up, as you mentioned, in Boulder, Colorado. So I grew up culturally Buddhist. I remember, I say culturally because it didn't intersect my life in any way, this faith part, the uh, religion part. So what it meant really was that during certain holidays, we would cook elaborate meals and invite the spirits of you know dead ancestors I had never met to partake in this meal. And then um, all of us would eventually eat the meal. So it was 
certain holidays. It's kind of like Mulan or Coco, those movies, if you're familiar oh, sure, with the yeah. movies, right? And was it more and, tradition than something kind of like spiritually meaningful? Exactly. So it, it didn't intersect my daily life. And so then, you know, in Boulder, as you know, Boulder's kind of spiritually open-minded, I would say, <laughs> kind of granola. You know, a lot of cults start off in Boulder. But I grew up very spiritually minded. So I remember in high school, I would write papers on UFOs and Ouija boards and I, ESP, all the things I knew that there was more to life than the five senses. Mm. And then I was fortunate enough to uh, sit next to a gal, a good friend of mine, and she started to transform before my eyes. So here we were in- When Mac- was this? This was my sophomore year of high school. Wow. In at Boulder High School. So she sat next to me and I watched her start glowing. Like there was really a noticeable difference. And I'm like, what happened to you? Did you become a vegetarian? And um <laughs> and she just said, she goes, No, I became a Christian. And I'm like, What do you mean you became a Christian? Do you just go to church or something? She goes, No, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And when she shared that, John, I was devastated. I was so disappointed because she had been so smart and funny. And I was just like, how could you be duped into believing this Jesus stuff? How do you know that the Bible is actually the word of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So her change was so remarkable and so undeniable that it really caused me to start my own spiritual journey. And that's when I started to explore all the different religions. I ended up attending youth group um, a handful of times because they're cute boys. And then I was blessed to have a youth director that could tell that I was interested in learning about God. So I went and um, asked him all my questions. And that's where I realized there was a spiritual, it was not blind faith to put my trust in Christ. There was an intellectual basis, but it also required a response from me that wasn't going to be passive. And so that was my first time really opening my hands and surrendering my heart of what I knew of myself and what I knew of God. And then I tried to do the Christian life on my own effort, in my own efforts. And so I drove to the mall and bought a Bible because I knew Christians had Bibles and we didn't have any. So I tried reading it. It didn't make any sense. It was dry and you know, again, in any way, it didn't seem like it really intersected my life in a real way that would, you know, evoke change. So it was kind of like the cultural Buddhist kind how, of how thing. How did your family feel about this? Were they, you know, they at that time thought I was going through a religious phase. Okay. You know, so I think that they were just kind of waiting it out to see what would happen. And then my dad goes through midlife crisis during high school. So he gets the sports car and then later he gets a perm. <laughs> oh, and wow. then. I know. But then he comes home with the news right before my senior year of high school that our family was going to move after living 17 years in Boulder to Hong Kong. Oh, boy. And yes. For that a young 17-year-old girl, that must oh, have been devastating. It was extremely devastating. And I was extremely angry. And they literally had to drag me by my ankles across the ocean to Hong Kong. Now, I grew up... My heritage is Chinese. My parents were both born in China. I was born in Wisconsin and grew up in Boulder. We spoke Mandarin Chinese at home, but the dialect that they speak in Hong Kong is Cantonese. And it's the same Chinese characters, but the pronunciation is so different that there's no understanding. Like there's 
it could have been any other language, honestly. So mm. th- I didn't have a way to communicate. I couldn't read the signs. I was really lost. All my security, the things I put security in were taken away and I was mad at God. So I remember sitting on the edge of my bed and kind of having one of those come to Jesus moments where I let him know how angry I was. But then I prayed, you know, in my heart of hearts, I want to know you. I need a church, a youth group, some Christian friends. And if you do that, I will give you my whole life. I will hold nothing back. If not, I'm going to go out and get drunk and do something I'll probably regret, but I'm never talking to you again. So (laughs) that was... That was the game changer, though, for me. That prayer of surrender. But that was your prayer, though, like, help me, or I'm going to go pull the ripcord and go another direction. Exactly, exactly. So when you share that to people in crew (laughs) and youth today, they're probably like, okay, I can relate to that one. Yes, I think so. I think really, even when I think of probably what I consider would be the biggest issue that young people growing up today, looking at Christians, I think that the area of hypocrisy is kind of one of those evergreen topics. But I think Mm, that's true. My, you know, my kids that are 22, 20, and even 15, Mm -hmm. the hypocrisy that they see. Yes. Like I've shared this before on the podcast, Vivian, but my son got a classmate pregnant his senior year or over Christmas break, his senior year at a Christian high school. Mm-hmm. And they chose to keep the baby, right? To choose life. and But because they had broken the honor code, mm. they were expelled Wow! from their school. And instead of using this as an opportunity for grace and ministry, even mm. if they'd chosen to remove the kids from the campus for whatever reason, right. they didn't stay connected. They weren't allowed. Nobody reached out to them. They weren't allowed on campus. They weren't allowed to prom. They couldn't mm. walk at graduation. They couldn't go to senior day. Now think about what that means to a young, you know, two 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds in that period of time. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus, Right. what this school did. And there are so many people that are in the world, both, you know, young and, you know, through our age, that -hmm. they've had experience with people that Mm -hmm. are wrong. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they don't separate that from, you know, what Jesus did. But anyway... You're right. The hypocrisy is out there. That's one of the biggest things we need Holy Spirit's power and wisdom to overcome in the conversations that we have with people. Oh, I think so. And I honestly think as we look across the country, increasing polarization, the landscape is changing. And I think it's an opportunity for Christians to shine, to be like my friend in math class, where there's just such a change that's undeniably God. But unfortunately, most Christians live like weekend warriors, and that's kind of what the first like section of the book for you know for my book is about. Really, like apathy and busyness and entitlement, unforgiveness. Those are the things that keep our hands closed, that keep our fists clenched, and we our part really is to live surrendered with open hands. And I think that that really means that God is able to take away as well as put into our life different circumstances and situations. And as our hearts are yielded to him, that, you know, our hearts are willing, that I think changes everything in in the area of leadership and in relationships. And so for me, Hong Kong, what I noticed the biggest change in my relationship with God is as I said, I'll give you control of my life. I will hold nothing back. That unleashed God's spirit to then 
open up the Word of God in a way that it was so applicable in my day-to-day life. And as I prayed and I trusted God with different aspects of my life, I saw God coming through the intimacy that I began to experience with God infused every aspect of my life. And that's, to me, people coming to faith in Jesus is probably the most important decision, but a very close second is who is going to be in charge of your life, who is going to be the king, the Lord, the one in the driver's seat. And when that issue is settled in the heart of a believer, the whole narrative changes because now it's a, the posture is, you know, I'm at the service of my king. What would you have me to do, God? And what are the paths that you would have me walk down? Who are the people you want me to influence? And there's just an openness. There's a there's a listening. There's a posture of humility. And I think the having that be the starting point, kind of like what you're talking about with leadership, I think that changes everything because God is then able to direct us and grow us and even allow difficulty and pain in our lives in a way that will help form and shape our souls to even more effective ministers of the gospel and to lead out in ways that are compassionate and as well as when lives having lives of integrity. I want to circle back to that. When you said, hey, you made this decision to let God be in control. And I know I've talked with a lot of people where, you know, that's, they don't know what that looks like or how to do it. And they're, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, so many, you know, so much, we're such busy lives, right? Everything happening all day long, all these little and big decisions we have to make. Can you talk about how you made that decision and how you help other people kind of step into that place? Mm-hmm. So I think that there, are, <laughs> and you probably would, Agree. I think the longer we live, the more we learn that there are no formulas. Like Jesus heals completely differently in each scenario. Mm-hmm. And even in the Old Testament, no two battles were ever fought the same way. And I think God chooses to mix things up like that so that our reliance would be on Him rather than on a circumstance on a past experience or our gifting or a formula. We so want to like link into, you know, a foolproof method. So going back to your question, I don't think that there's actually like a across the board way of, okay, here we go. I think it looks different. In other words, like even when people come to Christ, some people it's just, they get the information and it makes sense and it clicks. And other people have a very emotional crying you know, of just realizing God is real and, you know, giving their lives to him. But I think really when it comes down to our lives, I think there's a point in time of surrender. And I think then God calls us to re-up over and over. So when I think about the times in my life that, you know, the first time being in Hong Kong, there were other situations that came later, like, what was I going to do after graduation? You know, I'm going to marry this man. What does this mean to have you know, devastating circumstances take place. I was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago. What did that mean for my family? Was I going to live or die? And again, over and over wrestling with surrendering with not my will, but yours be done. And that really, I think, changes how we go through the trials of life. And no one is exempt from 
challenging circumstances. So I think living with open hands, living surrendered includes being able to accept no from God. Like we can be praying and praying. And I found myself praying with strong directives, like, God, this is the issue and this is how you need to solve it. And in this time frame, and I'm kind of bossing God around. And instead I needed to turn around and say, you know what, Lord, my children are yours. My finances are yours. My future is yours. These relationships are yours. This ministry situation is yours and surrendering. And so learning to embrace plan B not, you know, very few people live plan A, but, you know, learning to embrace plan B, learning to accept no, learning to serve without necessarily seeing outcome and results, learning to build bridges and not walls. Those are some of the other topics that I cover as well in the book. Yeah. Now you mentioned your journey through cancer and that must've come as quite a shock mm-hmm. uh, when you got that diagnosis. Um, we've had that in our family, unfortunately. And you know, talk to us about that part of the journey and how your faith played a role in in walking through that. Sure. Well, so my husband and I had been in full-time ministry for, you know, at that point, it was 20 years, 20-some years, and three kids, still young, you know, um, daughter who had just started first grade. And I remember feeling like, especially as a woman, you know, there. I think we kind of go through different seasons based on our marital status, our family status. In the area of leadership in particular, there's almost a, a needing to re-engage and catch up with what's going on. Like my husband continued with his different leadership positions and I would drop in and out depending on my capacity. So for me, having my youngest you know, in school full time opened up a whole new range of opportunities for leading again. And so that's, you know, when I started my master's degree, but I also joined an executive ministry team and was really feeling like I was living out a lot of my gifting for the first time that had been dormant for a while while the the kids were still very young. So I was, you know, running, you know, two or three miles every other day, I was feeling really great. And then out of the blue, three days before Christmas, I was given the call that no one wants. And uh, the lump that I had found turned out to be cancerous, which ended up, you know, it had spread to three spots in my lymph nodes. So it ended up being almost a full year of active treatment with chemotherapy, losing my hair, radiation, surgeries. And I had to wrestle with what the very understandable and honorable desire to live to witness all of the milestones in my children's lives and wrestling with God with what if he said no? What if he is more glorified with me passing away from cancer than for me to live to witness these milestones? And so, again, it was taking what I understood of who God is and his character and having to need that into my soul and respond out of who God is rather than what I determined would be the best outcome. And you said as you recovered from this, you made this decision. It was time to re-engage in the battle. What did that mean to you? Mm. So I had, this is kind of a fun story. During my cancer journey, I had one of my dear friends 
just was formed and born to run. And so she told me that at the end of the Los Angeles Marathon, there are Japanese taiko drummers that play at the finish line and they play their taiko drums, but you can hear the sound about a mile out and the sound just gets louder and louder as you get closer to the finish line. Hmm. And so that was such a great visual for me as I thought about this active treatment and getting through. It was one thing to like have a surgery and then recover from that, but it was like surgery followed by chemotherapy, you know, six gruesome chemo treatments that involved three different really strong chemo drugs. So all of that was a long marathon. So I remember my last round of chemo and um, some of my closest friends were in the kitchen with pots and pans banging on, you know, my pots and pans like taiko drums, like, hey, you made it. So anyway, after I finished my active treatment, I literally went through a wilderness time because all of my emotions I had pushed down just so that I could show up to the next appointment. And my life was just filled with doctor's offices and appointments and blood work and x-rays and all sorts of medical everything. And when all of that stopped and slowed down, I think I had all of the delayed emotional feelings kind of bubbled up. And so I went through about a year and a half of wandering around in the wilderness. I had an affinity and appreciation for the Israelites in a way that I hadn't before, where I just was wondering if the shoe was going to drop, was this cancer going to come back? What just happened? God, I thought I had given you my whole life and I thought that I was honoring you and serving you as a missionary and, you know, trusting you with all these different areas and here this all happened. What, how do I make sense of that? So I spent a good amount of time sorting through. I went back to my, uh, to see a therapist, which was very, very helpful to help navigate all that. But then I remember a friend you know, who had been with me in the journey. And she had said, you know, when this madness ends, we should do something incredible. Like we should go and visit Italy. Like that would be so incredible. And so we're like, okay. So I was bald and, you know, depressed, but I would open up my laptop and look for flights to Italy. And, you know, it was just kind of was in my mind, like, okay, when we finish all this, we'll go to Italy, we'll go to Italy. Well, you know, we finished and then life just took over and we never made it to Italy. So then this friend said, hey, we're going to go to Florida to a women's conference. And we had, you know, recruited four other women to join us for this leadership conference. And one of us said, you know, we're going to be in Orlando. And Orlando has the Epcot Center. And there's Italy in the Epcot Center. So something's better than nothing. So we so we're like, okay, so we flip it open. And it's like, you know, the tickets were $85. And we're like, oh, we just can't swing it because we just paid for the flights and the hotel and the conference. And so, the, oh, never mind. And then my friend put out another different friend put out in on Facebook, anyone have connections? So long story short, a friend's mom's daughter worked at Epcot Center and got all six of us in uh, with tickets to go. And as we went, we went to lunch in Italy, but we used the restrooms in Japan because Japan has really cool restrooms. But as we got, <laughs> yeah, with all the buttons, And they got the right, taiko the drums there. Yeah, it's, Did right. You see them? That's exactly yes. what happened. So as we got out of the restroom, we heard the sound turn the corner and th- saw three women taiko drummers. And that was the Lord just saying, okay, this is the end of your cancer journey. And I have more work for you. Your lungs are still filled with air and your heart is still beating. I have purposes for you that you have no idea about. So 
it's time to re-engage. So this cancer journey part is definitively over. And it was honestly, it was after it was at that conference after the Tycho Drums that all the connections were made, and which eventually turned into my first book. And now this is my second book, and um, God's just opened up opportunities that I would have never imagined before that. So it's been quite a ride since that time. Yeah, it sure has. And uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about what's in the book. Mm-hmm. And first of all, though, you I, I, you know, I always ask everybody, hey, what's your favorite verse? And sometimes we dig into that a little bit. And you put down kind of a unique one here, 7 Corinthians 11.3. Would you be willing to kind of share what that is and why that just kind of jumped to the top for you? Sure. I think for me, I probably am one that you know, just the way that I'm wired with my strength finders and all that. I have futuristic communication, you know, strategic, all of those things, activator. I love to dream, get things done and just go for it. So whether it's ministry or, you know, leadership, those kinds of things are just part infused in my heart. And so I love those kinds of things. But it's really easy for me to find my identity in what I do. And it's really easy for me to love the created rather than the creator, love the ministry mm-hmm. rather than who we minister to and for. And so the verse, it, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven three to the Corinthians, it's like, I don't need to be deceived by Satan that you would lose the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. And that, for me, John, just captures it all. It's like, what is my devotion to? Is it to ministry? Is it to being busy? Is Do I find my joy and my identity and worth through um, social media or the numbers or the followers or all of that? Or is it really, is my devotion simple and pure to be devoted to Jesus. And I think often in the Christian life, we look, you know, the vine and the branches that when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. Sometimes I think we look to the fruit, whether it's the fruit of our ministry, the fruit of our leadership, the fruit of our character, that we think that is the blessing, when in fact, Jesus is the blessing. And when we have him, the fruit is just a natural byproduct, but it's not the purpose of it all. He is. So that verse is why I love 2 Corinthians 11.3. Thank you for explaining that because that is, it's so easy to kind of get pulled into that. And in your book, you know, you talk about, and we've talked about it, right? This uh, portrait of surrender. And you tell this beautiful story of Esther and, you know, something I've had to learn coming out of, I had an accident that put me in the hospital for two years and had 23 surgeries and kind of walking into what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. was get you know developing a relationship with the father with the son with the holy spirit of trust where mm. you know as a business guy in the past i had everything laid out strategic planning milestones and and those are important but what is truly important i believe is trusting god so that you know my prayer is just each day show me that next small step forward the decisions mm-hmm. i need to make the conversations i need to have how I need to think, right? How do I transform things that are kind of in my soul, my beliefs about Mm. myself, about others, about the world. But then you talk about the things that get in our way. And you've talked about some of those. And I know you've worked with so many women 
and you know people you, you know through crew people on college campuses i'm people in business you've seen people across the spectrum Mm -hmm. When you're talking about this place of joy, right? You talk about, you know, discover the joy of saying yes to God. And and there is true joy there. And, and joy, I think, in peace is something a lot of us or a lot of people uh, just who get in touch with me are not currently experiencing. Mm. What are some of those things you think get in the way of kind of the surrender joyful life? Mm-hmm. Well, I think probably the first thing that gets in the way is we have a hard time letting go when we don't have an accurate view of who God is. So it's really hard to uh, trust a God that we don't think really has our best interest in mind. It's kind of the age old, like, okay, if I really surrender my life, I'm going to have to go and, you know, move to Rwanda, which I do think there's something to be said about having a willingness to move to Rwanda if God were to call us to do so. That is part of that surrender. It's like, game on, God, I will do anything. But sometimes it takes more faith to stay in the hospital bed for two years rather than to actually up and go to Rwanda. That it really is a trusting of God because we know his character, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-loving, and he's all-powerful, but they're braided together. Because if he were all-powerful and all-knowing without being all-loving, that would be terrifying. And if he were all-loving and all-knowing but not all-powerful, then he'd be impotent. Like, if he were all-loving and all powerful, but not all knowing, then he wouldn't know my circumstances and how to meet me in those. And so he really is all three simultaneously and so much more. So that's where I think we have to return to the source uh, where God reveals his character, his heart, what he loves and what he hates all through the Bible in the scriptures. And I think what I've been observing increasingly is that we have become a biblically illiterate generation. So whenever I have the opportunity, I try to encourage men and women, let the Bible be your primary source of spiritual nourishment. And, you know, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's no other books that have been described that way. And so we can sometimes, like, just try to find a Bible verse, almost like reading a fortune cookie, you know, and let hoping that that will be what will carry us. But what we really are needing is to have an accurate view of who God is. And as we know him and trust him, as we know him, we will love him. And as we know him, we will be able to let go and trust his outcome is better. Now, I think, just to be clear too, it's like I don't think that God has a weak ego where we can't be honest with him. I think our honesty can be our prayer and that actually he very much desires for us to uh, lean into him and to express our deepest anguish or anger or frustration. He, it doesn't threaten him in any way. If anything, I think it draws us closer to know that, he, I mean, he can handle it. And he and guess what? He, he already knows. Honesty. Yes, exactly. He already knows it. We he already knows that you're up. angry over cancer or the treatments mm-hmm. or how, mm-hmm. you, why this happened to me or, right? Yes. Like he already knows how Absolutely. you're feeling. Yes. 
And I think the other piece of it, in addition to having an accurate view of who God is in terms of letting go, is that God designed us to live in community. And mm-hmm. our relationship with God is not individualistic. And that's part of the, what I love about being bicultural as an Asian American is I'm drawing values from my Eastern culture of Asian as well as my Western culture of you know, more linear with European roots, you know, but the Eastern side of me, which is actually the most of the world is much more collective. So it's not about our individual relationship with God. It's a collective. It's, I think, cancer, honestly, learning to be a gracious receiver and learning to see how God designed for us to live in community with relying on not only him, but on one another is transformative and what God designed. So even I know that the verse Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for prosperity and give you a future and a hope. We often use that verse on mugs and on graduation cakes and, you know, banners and things like that. And in North America, we read that verse in a very individualistic way that God has a plan for us for a future and a hope. But the Hebrew of that verse is plural, for I know that plans I have for all y'all is a more (laughs) accurate translation. It's not an individual you, it was the Israelites. So, Again, I think when we are in relationships with people from different cultures and backgrounds, I think it just enhances our leadership in a way that we just can't find these things in our just by ourselves individualistically. I don't know if it's different for a lot of the women you work with, but I, I know a lot of men, right? Developing relationships where you're really in community, where you're in a place yeah. of extreme vulnerability, you're being your authentic self, you're sharing fears, doubts, concerns, you're sharing some of those things that uh, could elicit feelings of fear or guilt or shame. Mm -hmm. But it's living in those kind of relationships in my life that have been absolutely incredibly enriching. Yes. What does it take to kind of start to, if you don't have it, to develop Mm -hmm. it, or if you only have a very few number of those, Is it worth putting in the time and energy to expand that circle? Mm, Oh, that's a good question. I do think that those types of relationships are so rare and so necessary. So when there are the handful of people, I think I either read or heard somewhere, it's like, who are the six people that you want to carry your casket? You know, those are the ones are, you know, I think when I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought of who are the women I would ask to be my bridesmaids again, if I were to marry Darren all over again. And it's Mm. almost like a a way to kind of um, vet the people in our lives who know us the best and who have walked with us through some of the darker times. It takes our willingness to, I think, lead out in expressing vulnerability. And I think about like a small group setting, everything changes when that first person says, you know what, you're asking for a prayer request. And I could ask you to pray for my neighbor who broke her ankle. But what I really need is, you know, my husband, and I've been having so much conflict, I really need some friends to come alongside. And that kind of vulnerability changes the whole tone. And it gives others the permission even to kind of go there with the deeper, harder things. We are having a financial crisis right now. It's just so easy to just keep going 
on the surface level. But when we start to share what's really happening, I think that that's when we begin to experience the benefit of being truly known. And in that way, we experience healing and comfort, restoration, help at times. And I think it honestly is more difficult for men. I think women tend to be much more relational in our approach. So when there are those men, I think, gosh, those relationships are gold. And if those aren't there, I think it's one of the top things to be praying for and about. And I think it just takes the understanding that, you know, we could spend all of our days working to climb the corporate ladder, do all the things. But as you imagine, having not really heard much of the details, but in the hospital bed, or for me in recovery and being bald and, you know, not being able to perform or produce, it really brings us to a place of, I think, accurate view of really at the end of the day who we are. Like we are more than what we, our, our position, our titles, our productivity. Like we are souls loved and known by God and meant to be in relationship. And so few people on their deathbeds would say, oh, I wish I made more money. But the people that have the most regret are the ones that didn't make right those relationships or invest time in people over possessions. And I think that that's where a lot of times the regret comes because we even use work or ministry to be a numbing agent where, you know, it's almost acceptable to be a workaholic versus an alcoholic, but it's the same. We're turning to that to numb the pain rather than turning toward relationship. Yeah. And the other thing I've, I've found is you've actually kind of step into that place of having those human relationships. Mm-hmm. Then that also then brings into the relationships and the vulnerability of the authenticity I also have in my prayer time. I got to tell you, it definitely builds on itself. And, you know, for me, Mm. you know, just something to share that just popped into my head. But uh, as I was kind of on my own journey of faith, I became a believer after I got out of the Navy and when I was 27 years old. But my understanding of just kind of father figures in my life, human relationships, right? Everything was kind of works-based. And what I, Mm. what I had done was because I didn't really understand God's nature, I had um, imputed into his nature my understanding of just also human relationships. Mm. And at my accident, when I was in his presence, and I understood in a moment how much God loved me personally between God and me. And I remember thinking as soon as I was in his presence, Vivian, that I'm not worthy of somebody love me like this. That's the first thought I had. My whole body was crushed from the, from the chest through my head. And wow. looking back on that, I realized in that moment, two main things. The first one was everything I've ever done in my life in the past was not even relevant to this love and relationship he had with me. Mm. And the other one too is I'm not special because he feels like this for everybody but that's how big Mm. he is. And somebody Mm. asked me in that moment, and I loved this question because I'd never thought of it before. Somebody asked me this recently because the accident was just about seven years ago. In that moment, when you're in God's presence, how would you have described him? I'm like, whoa, great question. Mm. You know, the Mm. first thought that popped into my head was a friend. 
And wow, I had never, under, I saw God as like the big guy up in heaven, like in the throne room, mm-hmm. like, you know, he, mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, he's the rule maker. Mm. He loves me, but am I worthy of some of the things that are in the scripture? You can see all the, some of the beliefs and deceptions, right? And, you know, when God talks about transforming our mind, mm. what I believe he's talking about is transforming our core beliefs, our core beliefs about who God is, about who we are, about our mindset, about mm. how we think, about, mm-hmm. like you talked about before, where we get our identity from, where do we get our mm-hmm. sense of, you know, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. I've come to the conclusion that happiness is this external thing. Mm. You mm. can be going through an accident. You can be going through cancer. You can be going through a financial devastation, but you mm-hmm. can be joyful internally because of that relationship. And for mm. me to actually, that made no sense to me <laughs> until I went through what I went through. Wow. But I love what you said, because living an open-handed life and letting go of control, which is, I got to tell you, so foreign to my personality. I was an engineer. I was mm. a pilot. I was a entrepreneur in the tech space, right? That is not how I operated. It is mm-hmm. how I operate now. So as we wrap up, here's something I'd love for you to share. As you've lived this out and share and speak on this and teach on this, what would you say is you know, the people that you know that have moved into this open-handed life, what have you seen the fruits that have come into their life as they have done that? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. You know, what's so cool is that because we don't see the end of the story, there's just untold outcomes that we have no idea even about uh, the side of heaven. But I do think that as I have seen people, individuals in directly and indirectly in our lives, I have seen God take difficult circumstances and turn them around for his purposes that were even greater. So, for example, I think about, you know, when you had interviewed Jessica Honiger, mm-hmm. you know, earlier on your podcast and how in her moment where, you know, she really believed that God was calling her to adoption and, you know, the financial crisis had taken place, and all these things, but out of her surrender and her willingness has now born this incredible organization that is helping to provide beautiful jewelry made from artisans from around the world that are in helping people to stay in places where they can see their communities and their families flourish. I think about my friend Florence from Rwanda, and she, as a young pastor's wife in Uganda at the time, she had no food in the refrigerator. Like literally they were out of milk and, you know, a hundred euros had come into their home unexpectedly from Europe and her husband at the same time, there was an opportunity to sponsor nine kids to stay in school. And so he had asked Florence, you know, would it be okay if we use the money to help sponsor these kids instead? And she wrestled and wrestled and she opened her hands and said, yes. And they sponsored those nine kids. Well, they ended up moving to Portland to attend Multnomah and a family let them stay in their basement and Florence would Uh, babysit the kids that, you know, in the house, and she saved up every dollar 
they paid her to babysit. So she saved up every dollar, didn't spend a dime on herself or at the mall. And she had this dream of buying a little home in Rwanda because the two of them were Rwandans and wanted to return after the genocide. What ended up happening was she over time saved a thousand dollars and, you know, this dream of having this two bedroom house in Rwanda was becoming a reality. So she and her husband flew to Rwanda because they were so burdened with the post-genocide aftermath with all of the orphans and just, you know, the country wrecked and they were moved to start their now, um, ministry and they needed money so that they could rent a little house to start a preschool and they also needed money to open a bank account so they could receive wire transfers and so Charles looked to Florence and said could we use your money and you know here it was like Florence had saved for her dream and as she wrestled with the Lord uh, she opened her hands and said okay you know trust you Lord with this dream and she opened her hands with a willing heart and they were able to start African New Life, which today over 10,000 kids Mm. are sponsored through their student sponsorship program. Florence started a ministry for at-risk women with a sewing program and a beauty program. I got to meet some of these graduates of the program and see their businesses that they've opened. It's really been remarkable. They have a seminary now in Rwanda. Uh, Multnomah ended up donating 20,000 copies of books to the library, which is now one of the largest. The schools that they have founded, the kids graduating from there are scoring the top in the nation. It's gotten the attention of the government. There's been some beautiful partnerships that have come out of this ministry founded by Rwandans and led by Rwandans. But it When I think about the story, I think about Florence and her willingness to surrender, her willingness to say yes to God, her willingness to open her hands, and it's just remarkable. Wow, what a beautiful story, because I could imagine like $1,000 that you've worked so hard to save up for and just releasing it. Mm-hmm. You know the <laughs> right the you know you, I could just see somebody go well you know struggling mm-hmm. with that's you know mm-hmm. right the you know but when you talk I mean a big part of your what you do your message and, and your website everybody needs to go check it out it's Vivian Mabuni it's V I V I A N M A B U N I dot com and I love what it says on your website a place of abundance and that's what you just described was being in a place of abundance. So mm-hmm. how else do people connect with you? Where are you on social media? How do they get your book, Vivian? Yes, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at Viv Mabuni, V-I-V-M-A-B-U-N-I. And the book, I have two books. My first one is my cancer story called Warrior in Pink, um, a story of cancer community and the God who comforts. And also my new book, Open Hands, Willing Heart, Discover the Joy of Saying Yes to God. And both you can find at Barnes & Noble, um, online at Amazon, and everywhere books are sold, Christian book distributors, etc. And I am also starting a podcast at the end of this month, John. Yes, you for, are. Someday yes, is now. Someday is now for Asian American women on leadership and ethnic journey, which my hope is that for non-Asians, they would have a place to learn about Asian culture and Asian American culture in particular. But I also have this vision for 
Asian American women to find a place to have their experience validated. And I'm so excited about the guests that I'll be interviewing on that podcast. So that's all brand new and it's hopefully releasing at the end of this month. And yes, would love for your listeners to check it out. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is exciting. And you know, as we wrap up, what is just one thing that you recommend people who've been listening to this whole conversation take away and do after just hearing this conversation? Mm. Well, that's a good question, too. I would recommend for the listeners, some of your listeners may have been just driving in a car or working out or cleaning or doing something, but if God has put an issue or a relationship or a circumstance that's just kind of bubbling up, I would encourage that listener to take some time, pull away, and just write a letter to God about whatever that issue was um, that they are wrestling with and struggling with. And I think at the end of that letter, just kind of explaining the circumstances, the situation, the challenges, and at the very end, literally just saying, okay, God, I don't know what this means, but I want to trust you with this situation and my life and kind of signing over control, so to speak, and folding up that letter, putting it in a special place. And so every time that situation circles around again, whether it's a relationship or um difficult work situation or circumstance that it'd be like, okay, I, I have surrendered that to God and I can keep looking at that as, as almost as a memorial, like, okay, God, I am trusting you. I'm trusting you. I don't know what this means, but I'm trusting you. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Viv. I got a whole page of notes here. I love these conversations and I'm just so excited. Uh, you know, people out there who hear this, who just take that next step forward, do what Vivian mm. just talked about. You know, reach out. Tell us what happened in your life. We love to hear stories. We love to meet people. So reach out to myself. Reach out to Vivian through her website. And we would love to hear from you. And man, just go forward. Keep knocking them alive out there. And just mm. take that next small step forward. Mm. 